Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Bad Filipino Podcast. I am your host, Mickey Angeline, and it is my honor to introduce to you today's guests, Franco Stevens, the founder of Curve Magazine and director and producer of Ahead of the Curve documentary, Jen Rainan and Rivka Beth Meadow. The focus of today's episode is on that documentary, which spans the 20-year history of the first lesbian magazine to represent every facet of queer women, the longest-running and best-selling lesbian magazine in the world. Today's episode is sponsored by MXL Microphones. This by far is going to be the most historical, coolest, I'm going to try not to cry episode ever because I have the team with Ahead of the Curve documentary focusing on the Curve magazine. Can we all just breathe for a moment and just like take this in? And I appreciate your team reached out to me to interview you because they saw me doing the photo when I got my physical copy. Thank you so much for that. So welcome to the to the podcast and thank you for taking time to be here. Thank you. So great to have us. And it was really cool to see your like your shot with the with the cover of the film. Oh yes, I had to. I had to. It's like uh, I was I was telling you earlier before we went live, and I know you probably hear this all the time, and hopefully it doesn't get tiring to hear it. How much you and your movement and your decision to make this magazine impacted so many lives, even the ones you never hear about, right? You know, it was like, this is not a thing. This is really a thing. Oh my gosh, I have to check this out. And I knew I wanted to support it by buying it and owning it because I'm, I'm that generation. I want physical things, mm-hmm. even though I know about the stream and stuff like this is streaming. And so thank you again. Thanks. We're really honored to be here. So, so let's cool. start off. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no. I just like, it's so cool because we have so many things in common. Oh my gosh, we do. And we'll touch on that. We'll okay. start off with why and how the documentary became to be, and then we can go kind of back in time and back and forth with our little stories on it. So what prompted the decision to go ahead with this amazing documentary? Oh, that was me. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I married this extraordinary woman. And I knew she had started this magazine, but I didn't know all the stories behind it. And you know, in the first years of our relationship, getting to know each other, she would tell me little things like, you know, um, once I got sued by Catherine Deneuve or, oh yeah, I sometimes would have to go to loan sharks to make payroll or, oh, you know, in order to get the money to start the magazine, I took out 12 credit cards in one day, cashed them out and went to the racetrack and bet on the horses and won three times in a row. Like these kinds of stories, my mind was exploding. I thought, this is such a great story. This would make a wonderful fiction film. I'm going to write a screenplay for it. So I started researching for the screenplay, and I realized that um, I was having a hard time finding our stories, queer women's histories um, in nonfiction, like that were just documented. And I felt a real um, imperative to, to make this film as a documentary, at least first. So that's how it started. <laughs> and it was just meant to be the historical story. It was just meant to be the like from the time that Franco was outed until the name change of the magazine. But you know, things happen <laughs> while you're making a movie. It and was it- so much more and I loved every second of it. Thank you. <laughs> I think um, um, you know, I mean, I can't even I'm saying you interviewed so many people and you showed how it had impacted different people in their different walks of life, those that came forward and shared that information. In fact, um, here, let me see. 
I can, while we're talking about it, let me share the, uh, so you have your website. Here we go. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. Because I want to show, um, let's see, I want to show, here we go. I wanted to show the fact that you have these amazing um, women in it as well that were involved, right? Look at all that. Oh, of course it is. Yes, it is. Everyone, it is. And your, your um, trailer is amazing. But then you have all of these women here. Denise, oh my gosh, that, her poem. I remember that. I remember when that first came out. And it was like, and then Michelle, I was like, all of this here, right? Here's and here. I thought, so, okay. So now we go back because I forgot that it was Deneuve before it was Curve, right? Right. Yeah, a lot of people still don't, never knew that. Because <laughs> it was such a, it was like right in the smack beginning. It was before I came out. So it was, you know, it would be in the history if you researched it, right? This is way before phones were smart and not too many people had home PCs, so Googling that kind of thing was kind of far in between, but I was, I loved that. And then I didn't realize that you were sued over that by the actress, which was such an irony since she played a lesbian in, <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, I mean, is there anything that you can share that wasn't in there with, without getting in legal trouble as to, like, what was the date of when you first re received that notification that you were being sued. Yeah, it was just, you know, a normal day at the office. And then, you know, you get a knock on the door. Francis <laughs> Stevens, yes, you've been served. You know, just like the movies. And I'm like, this has got to be a joke. And I looked at it, I was like, no, this is definitely a joke. And then my editor came and she was like, you know, this is no joke. <laughs> we're my full goodness. on being sued, yeah. My goodness. And she's, oh. Yeah, that was that I can imagine how heart wrenching that must be because you you went through such lengths and struggle to even get this going and how important because I'm remembering you discussing how you got their subscriptions and you mailed them out yourself correctly. You had a team right, right. in your office, a, te a team, you know, all my friends from the club. Come on down. Let's stuff some envelopes. in your office. Yes, awesome. which was my living room at the beginning. Right. I remember you pointed out your apartment. I mean, all everywhere you were in San Francisco, I'm like, oh, my God, I remember that play. Oh, my God, I remember that. I remember that. And, and, you know, and this is, I mean, because, like, I had to dig them out. I don't have any old ones. Like, the oldest one I have is from oh, 2009, yeah. right? But I still right. have them, right? Yeah. I was, like, trying to dig these up because cool that you still have those oh my we gosh don't even have every copy and we're trying to archive them right now right for the curve foundation which we'll make sure we touch on before we yeah. we end out and you know it's interesting because you also talked about different light bookstore mm -hmm. did you ever I go there back in the day that's where i got this oh snap i even had the original receipt oh my god january 13th 1998 Wow. Right. I'm telling you, you goosebumps. Yeah. Goosebumps I when I, I found was still this stuff. Working there at the and, and she was the first mainstream celebrity you were able to get to get on the cover. That's right. Which is amazing because yeah. I work for the Women's International Music Network and we honored her in 2018. And I want you to know I haven't washed the shirt since that she touched I don't when she you. agreed to do a selfie with me. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God. You're, you know, her. it was the song Silent Legacy from her Yes I Am that did it for me.
Mm-hmm. And I still cry to this day when I hear that song. But I thought, oh my gosh, this is so serendipitous because it's like it's most effort in the book. When I first came out in 97 and I was frequenting Castro like every weekend, you buy up stuff. And I remember seeing that and the song. And I thought, you did not work there. This is crazy. What? I did. You know? And, you know, talking about Melissa, not only was she gracious enough to like agree to be the first celebrity on our cover, but she was the first celebrity to say yes to doing the movie. And I'm so jealous because Jen and Rivka and the whole crew got to go down to her house (gasps) and like hang out in her living room and film like literally in her living room. Right. Stop it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Jealous all over the wall. Yeah. She's, she's incredibly gracious and really, um, I think she, she understands the weight of her endorsement and she uses it for good. Yeah. That's so good. You know, when she did her acceptance speech and she had said that when she, and you captured this in your documentary, how so many people wouldn't play her music. She was told, thank you, but we already have a woman in rotation. So we in the music industry are always fighting because women, even to this day, when you listen, majority of the music you hear, whether it's been produced, performed, sung, it's, it's male oriented. Mm -hmm. You might hear one or two females every hour or two and to know that back then she was being shut down because they had a woman just right. one in rotation right. and that was the late well, mid 90s yeah it's not much different now and when she said that the room just got quiet and i thought do you even and i'm sitting here watching do you even know how much harder it was for her because she was also out at that time when that when she was circulating that particular album so whatever but yeah, it's it's um she you're right, she understands the weight of that and it's so great that you I think it it made sense that it was her that she was the first one to be right. quite honest. Like the universe just said she needs to be the first one, be patient. <laughs> this well, is going to happen. A crazy story too, Jen. Uh do you know this do you, I don't know Mickey if you know the story. Jen, will you tell it how we got Melissa because oh, Please tell it. <laughs> because yeah. I made a ginormous mistake. Yeah, it was um, which you never do. Oh, that's actually not true at all. <laughs> but you're like Virgo, you're pretty non. Yeah, you don't make many mistakes, if any. Yeah. Thank you. That's very kind. These these are my favorite people here on this call with me. Um, yeah. So you know, I, we were. I was trying to like psych myself up to reach out to um, some of the celebrities who had been on the covers of the magazine over the years to see if they would consider allowing us to interview them for the film, and. Um, it was late one night. I'd been working really hard all day and I thought, okay, just do it. Just do it. Just send a note off to Martina Navratilova's person because Martina had been actually was the first celebrity on the cover of Curve magazine after it changed names. And I thought, I don't know why I thought for some reason, like I can, Martina will say yes, this will be good. So I sent this very nicely crafted, like, hey, I hope you'll consider this means a lot to us earnest little note off and I went to sleep and I woke up early the next morning and I had an, an email response. I thought, woohoo, I opened it up and it said, I do not now nor have I ever represented Martina Navratilova. And that was it. And I was like, <gasps> but I, I, I know this is the right person. So I went through and I looked and then it, it became clear. I had sent the ask for Martina to Melissa Etheridge's manager. Oh, okay. Wrong so M. Rivka freaked out. 
Complete meltdown. At like six in the morning. And you were then, like, oh. yeah, very, very early. <laughs> Pretty. Early. And then um, crafted a, you know, some kind of a like a, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Must have been the evil email gremlins that got me. You know, I don't, can't explain it, but I meant to reach out to you anyways because, of course, Melissa was on the cover a bunch of times and really would love it if she would consider. And I thought, well, you know, I just shot myself in the foot. I know this person will never respond. 15 minutes later, the person responded and said, oh, yeah, I talked to Melissa. She'll totally do it. <laughs> and I thought, yes. oh, it just happened. <laughs> oh, saving grace. Thank goodness. Because yeah, the universe so wanted you to reach out to Melissa. You just didn't know Apparently. it yet. Apparently. Oh, yes. she needed to be the first. Yeah. Yes. She needed to be the first. Absolutely. And I love how you're okay. So taking it back and I know it's in the, the preview and stuff and everyone please watching. Oh, by the way, we had a love all of you ladies. That's so sweet. You know, the fact that when you realized Franco that you needed to do this magazine and we're talking, was it 90 or 91 when you launched it? Uh, it was 91. Okay. Uh, when the first issue came out. Yeah. So that's, so people paying attention way before smart, anything like everything was boots to the grounds and, and getting out there and, and, you know, getting seen because honestly, like I pulled these out too. When I came out, you know, it was advocate. Right. And these is are that an old, is that a 2001? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, cause I think we came out right before the advocate, I mean, out or yeah. around the same time, but when Danu first came out, advocate just didn't say lesbian on the front cover. No. And that. predominantly it's, it's men, isn't it crazy? No matter how you identify, whether it's gay, straight, non-binary, pansexual, it's yeah, men. It's and it was mostly my gays that, you know, I weren't the only lesbians I were with, I usually were sleeping with. So like my friends were the gays and it was just always, that was, you know, Queer as Folk was huge and one what, lesbian couple, I think, in that whole series. And so, you know, it was like, and then finally I come across Curve and I was like, so it wasn't Danube at the time, it was Curve. Okay. And, and like you even mentioned, it was, it, what, it was representing as a community, not sexualizing it like out and advocate, right? Which now we have Grinder, But, you know, you, you really, it was so important to feel to feel represented to know because women just weren't in ads, weren't in TV, just even whether you identified, you know, as queer or not. And um, when I finally discovered that, I just, I couldn't get enough of it, honestly. And I just read everything and soaked it all up because it opened up a world for me being in Vacaville and Fairfield, even before coming to Sacramento. Those are, those were smaller towns, you know? I mean, I think um, chatting on the internet became popular in 98, 99 and there were some people that would disguise their names because they were coming from small towns totally, and totally. states where they would be ostracized for even admitting they like the same sex in fact you covered in your documentary um denise does her her advocacy with the youth and i don't even know how new that is because it looked pretty recent but you had a young person actually saying her mother told her she wished she had she would have aborted her if yeah. she knew she were gay. So this is a situation that still that exists. Two years ago. See two that? Ago. That's horrific. Yeah. That's horrific yeah. that youth are dealing with that. So, yeah. you know, and you were careful to mail them in plain manila so people didn't know they right. were getting it. Exactly. That was important too. And people could just escape with this. And they could just, you know, probably cry like I, I, I would we would laugh all the time and cry and look at stuff and just 
Okay, so we're going to move on to this. Now, <laughs> horses is your thing. How did you know to go to bet on, like, when it came to trying to get the money? Right. And you did all the credit cards, so clever. I'm sure you, no one can get away with that now, obviously. <laughs> you know, the fact that you filled out every single form on the same day to get approved, because everybody had been, they were like, here, take the credit. We want you to spend money. How did you know that going to the track would do it versus going to a casino versus whatever else? Well, there was no casino around here, so I, I wasn't going to drive to Nevada to do it. But uh, um, my history with horse racing kind of goes back to my childhood when my dad used to own some racehorses and I would work at the track mucking stalls and, you know, cleaning, cleaning horses and pick, picking hooves and riding whenever I could. So, you know, I, I went to the track every morning to work and I listened to what the guys had to say and I looked at how they looked at horses. And I didn't know that I was going to win. I knew it was a gamble. And the first race, I was just like, you know, there was a heavy long shot. And, I mean, there was a heavy favorite. And I just looked at the horse and I was like, that horse doesn't even look sound. Well, how is this horse? Like, how is... So, you know, I, I just picked a few other horses and I got lucky. And then I parlayed that into the next race. And I think more than luck, it was just actually meant to be. It was with, with the magazine, it always seemed like the right thing came along. It's like when we needed an editor, an editor just found us. When we needed a graphic design person, you know, somebody reached out to us. That was like a perfect fit. It just, you know, it's just, it was just meant to be. I agree. And now knowing your background with horses, obviously you were going to win. You were <laughs> able to look at the horse and go... Something ain't right. We're not hit, we're not picking that horse. Like you knew, <laughs> and you're right. It's, people have been waiting to do something like this. So when it when it got into their, you know, into their uh, their news feed, so to speak, that you existed, you probably had a flood of of people wanting to be a part of something so great. They just knew it was going to be so great and just so well needed. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, even you know because like here we go again. I still have my original time from wow Matthew Shepard. Yeah. Wow. The original time. That hit hard. That hit. I mean, even you covered that in your documentary because, oh, my gosh. And it was, you know, I mean, it was, uh, what is it, at least almost 20, 17 years after the AIDS epidemic first started. And then even through, because when we, I mean, we're, I know we're jumping all over the place, but you just, you're bringing back so much when, when COVID first hit, every way that the presidency and, and people were attacking Asian community over blaming it to be a China virus, I was flipped back to AIDS epidemic and Reagan calling it the gay virus. Yeah. And, and so many, um, you know, queers being attacked, being blamed for being blamed and so you know and then when something like that happens more than ever you need your community and you clearly had it i mean this documentary really shows that i mean and then when you you know skip ahead to your um being sued and have and throwing that fundraiser and you had so many people come forward to want to help and donate and be a part of that and that was in san francisco that was i mean cool. To be there, I mean, I can't. I mean, I was just trying to imagine what I've been like just to be in that room and feel all of that love and support and purpose, right? It was very powerful. Yeah. You know, back then, before the internet, 
the only way to reach the women, you know, was re really to go from town to town and, and put the magazine into the hands of the potential readers and watch the expression on their face when they realize, like, I can see myself in this thing. Um, and, you know, I still to this day am surprised when people say, oh, this, you know, saved me, it changed my life. Um, you know, it just touches me so much to know that I made such a huge difference to so many women on their journey. And you went on the road. I love that. You had your little microphone. You were even talking with people, making them a part of it. And that had to, as fun as that looked, that had to have been exhausting. You know, I think we were energized, but by the whole like camaraderie in it. Um, so we would, we would literally drive like 600 miles in a day we'd make the first stop at like a bookstore and do like a reading from the magazine and a you know then a cocktail party we'd have dinner at some you know some reader's house where she's invited all of her friends so that they could learn about it and then uh after that it was off to the clubs to you know try and circulate the magazine it was ultimately exhausting you know driving 7,000 miles on a road trip and sleeping, you know, in a van or in a Motel 6 or, you know. Uh, how many states have you visited? I've been to 49 states. Yeah. My goodness. Oh, wait, and how are you going to get to that last state, Franco? I think uh, my gorgeous wife, Jen, has said she's going to take me there for my birthday, but it's too cold right now, so. When it so up. that's the only hint I'm Wait, which you. state? I'm oh. not telling you. I'm not okay. telling you. There's okay. only one state left. Okay. And, um, you know, I do this. Uh, I just started this um, group called the Curve Community on Facebook. And I need to follow it. Okay. I'm going to okay. find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just the fledgling, you know, it's just been up for a couple weeks. And it's really a way to deepen the connection, um, you know, for women. And, uh you know, I, I put on there a quiz, like, how many states have you been to? I've been to 49, and I let people guess, you know, which is the last state that I haven't been to, and nobody's been able to guess yet, so. Wow. Man, you were, like, doing road trip like a musician would, you know? Oh, except, yeah, like a grunge, like a, you know, not a musician with a big fancy. When I say van, I mean minivan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, trust. I, I've i been so involved in the sack music scene here since 2007. There have been artists that totally believed in their craft, and they would quit their jobs, give up their apartments, get the broken down 1981 Dodge van, and live in it, and yeah. track, and do whether, whether they slept in the van, fans would offer their floor, you know, totally. because their money was, if I could sell merch, there's gas money to get to the next town. So that's yeah. what you were. I mean, you were just yeah. grinding it. And I, and but even as exhausting as it was, it had to have been so rewarding every time you hit a town and the faces just light up and the love that you feel because they're like, she is representing us and she's yeah. giving us a voice and, and we now are relevant and have purpose and, you know, sure. all of that. Of like I was young and I was single. So, you know, there wasn't anything bad about that. Let's just say. <laughs> Never. You know what I mean. I sure do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> so let's bring it back to the movie because yes. I'm so excited that Jen and Rivka made this movie. Uh, you know, I was pretty apprehensive at the beginning. Jen kind of had to talk me into it because I'd rather 
be behind the scenes and not, I'm, you know, in front of the camera is kind of a awkward and vulnerable place for me. Um, and, uh, you know, she was really committed to it. Like just when I decided I'm going to make the magazine, Jen decided she was going to make the film and there was no stopping her. And then how did you bring Rivka in, Jen? Um, Rivka and I had been friends for a long time. She's an accomplished filmmaker and um, I dared to dream that maybe, maybe, maybe she would consider coming on and helping me with this project. Um, and I actually, I think Rivka, you might not, I don't know that you remember it this way, but the first time I mentioned it to you, you're like, oh yeah, hmm, you should, let me think if I can think of anybody who would be a good producer for you. And, and like a year went by, that was when I first was just starting to do pre-interviews and 70 pre-interviews later, we're driving across the, the Bay Bridge to a friend's uh, party. And I said, you know, I, I really need a producer now. Now I know, I know what the next steps are. I have absolutely no idea how to do them. I need somebody who knows what they're doing to come on and help me. And uh, I still didn't really think she was going to say yes, but she did. <laughs> and, and please, Rivka, share how your, your valuable contribution came to making this fruition. Oh, well, um, so I have known Frank and Jen for many years before this. And I do, now that you say it, remember that initial conversation. <laughs> but, you know, um, people... Sometimes people say things and who knows. So this next time when you, you know, mentioned that you had done so many pre-interviews and you had this and you also dropped a few other stories where I was like, uh, that sounds like a real movie. <laughs> I was like, you, you know, and I remember you said you really need a producer. And I was like, well, have you asked this producer? <laughs> You're like, is, are you, is this happening? And so I remember it happened right when we were crossing the Bay Bridge. And then when we got to San Francisco, I think we were making a movie together. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a lesbian relationship. You spot each other in the bar, you kind of know each other, yeah. but nobody wants to make the first move, but you know it's a perfect match. Hey, I'm okay. very, I'm, I'm a very secure in my relationship with both of these women. And I have, uh, you know, nothing but good feelings about their making movies together. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad it was meant to be too. There you go. And did you find any obstacles or struggles you had to overcome in producing the film? <laughs> I mean, that you would like to share. How many? single day. Yeah. It was I mean, so easy. <laughs> Everything just fell into place. Even play. a cave woman should do it. Uh, I mean, the truth is a lot of things really did fall into place. That's true. Yeah. And we I, hit a I lot mean, of flow. Yeah. By far, the I would think, say the biggest challenge was my own lack of experience. I did not know how to make a movie. And so for me, it was a like a daily masterclass. Oh, well, you know, like tell me about the different lenses that you're, you're, you're talking about. And what do you mean depth of field? And what do you mean? You know, like, can I stop oh, you there, Jen? Because yeah. you do not give yourself enough credit for being in the movie, you know, in, in the film industry for, you know, more okay. for a long but time. Not in this role. Not in this role. So this yeah. role was new and, yeah. you know, you did have a master class. Yeah, you did. But also, like, really, you understood storytelling. And that's the most important part. All the other tech stuff is easy to learn. Uh, you know, bringing crews on, we wanted we had an all 100% female on non-binary people crew, most folks, a lot of folks queer. 
LGBTQ plus. And we also really wanted to help mentor other women and non-binary people because, you know, like many other industries, it's totally male dominated and has been for years and years and years. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of ironic uh, that in the news right now, there's a story um, on another film where the cinematographer was shot yes. and oh. killed and it's horrible. I mean, the chances that that was a female cinematographer, I was like, oh, you, you must be kidding. It's so, it's still so rare for that to happen. So in this film, and you know, kudos to you, Jen, because I remember you were saying like, no, it needs to be a hundred percent. I was like, well, what about like ninety nine percent? Yeah, we had that conversation repeatedly. Yeah. Actually, we did because yeah. it's because some of the um, we we had a we had a really for a documentary we really wanted to have a high production value um, because too many especially too many queer films about women are just not super well resourced. And we wanted to shift that because it, it ripples across the whole film's opportunity to make an impact in the world. It's, and, and also- like the magazine, right? I mean- well, the, just like the, the magazine. Right. Yeah. We, so, and Frank, talk about that a little bit because why did you make this magazine that would sit next to other magazines, right? and why I did wanted you? It, uh, you know, I always had in mind, you know, in my mind that I wanted it to be color and glossy and professional, and you know, to say, yeah, you know, you, the reader, are worth it. You're worth, you know, the expensive printing, and you know, I wanted to have something that you could leave out on your coffee table. So if your, you know, family member walked by, you wouldn't be like, oh my god, let me get this off the table. Like, I really don't want them to see that. I just wanted it to be validating, you know. Oh, you knocked it out of the park with that. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, and you talked about even going back with on producing because the importance of having everyone be part of, of the community, not only for representation, but just the, the ones telling the story mm -hmm. and, and the point of view. I mean, like, because things come up in my post, you, you referred to the movie that just happened with the cinematographer who was shot and killed. You know, the whole thing with um, the trans community, especially trans community of color who who were protesting, you know, Netflix. And it was more than it wasn't as the cancel culture. It's because of the fact that they're trying to be this forward thinking com company. But the people they're claiming that they're supporting aren't in the roles that make the decisions for the company or even benefit with money and whatnot. I mean, someone had shared that I shared with it said in 2020, the Times wrote 324 articles about trans people and trans issues, but zero of them were actually written by trans people. This is why it's so important what you did. Because yeah, you're- Well, this is why it's so important that we tell our own story. Yes. You know, because yes. nobody's gonna tell the story like we can tell it. Absolutely. You know, nobody's gonna tell your story like you can tell it. You know, nobody can tell Rivka's story or Jen's story. You know, it's, we don't need somebody othering us and, you know, reporting from an outside lens. Because we've had enough of that already. Yeah. I mean, it's let, let me say <laughs> this. It's important that our issues get covered. Yes. But, you know, we have to do it in a way that, you know, we have our own voices. Yes. You know? And real quick, Booger was like, great memories, aren't they, though? I'm telling you, we're, we're not going to be here forever, but we obviously could be because we've got so many years with, with the history, with all of this. And so going, you wanted to touch on the importance of inclusion? with 
your magazine and how it developed over time when you saw that there was a need each with with each passing year, right? Sure. Well, you know, our goal was always to be as inclusive as possible, um, whether that be, uh, you know, because of the color of your skin, your age, your um, physical abil- abilities. Um, I remember the third issue of the magazine, we put a woman who was over 60. Oh, my God. She was like an ancient lesbian on the front cover. And it almost bankrupt us because people were like, I won't buy that. They wouldn't say I wouldn't buy that, but it wasn't like you think of a cover magazine cover girl like as sexy and beautiful. And, um, you know, we'd put like Giselle Garcia, the dancer from, you know, the, the iconic uh, Club Q on the front cover and people would just be snatching that thing up. Yep. Um, you know, but it was always a struggle because, uh, you know, um, black, black and brown women really were in such a hard place back then coming out was, you know, incredibly difficult. Just the pressure from family and from religious aspects. And, you know, there's nothing more out and loud and proud than being in a magazine that says lesbian right on the front cover. So we really tried to be respectful of people. And if they didn't want to be included, um, we wouldn't include them. And we learned through the years that like, if we wanted people to, if we wanted readers to, um, you know, digest some of the harder topics, the best thing to do would be to put somebody that they resonated with on the cover so that they would pick it up and take it home. And then they would read through the magazine and, oh, I didn't, you know, if we had put a, you know, a thing about, you know, coming out in the military as the front cover, you know, they may or may not have read it. Um, because there were a lot of stories about that at the time, but how many of them were coming from a distinctive uh, queer woman's point of view? Not many. Absolutely. And and they put themselves a target on the back when they decide to come forward yeah, in something exactly. like that as well. I mean, not that it's, it doesn't happen now because it, it does. But back then, I mean, 30 years ago, that just. Yeah. You know, I mean, I we think- could have always I just want to say we could have done better for sure. Looking back in hindsight, um, you know, we could always do better. You know, uh, I really respect and admire um, how Jen and Rivka brought in such diversity when producing the film. I mean, the women we profiled in the movie or that they profiled in the movie or that I, you know, we found just by like, hey, who are the movers and the shakers that are young and making waves today? Um, my God, they are powerful. And they, they are beautiful in their own right, diverse, um, you know. And then you had me, the main subject, and I'm in a wheelchair, so. Oh, yeah. I'm learning from them all the time because I'm realizing, you know, and, and let's touch on you. You had a very good um, section of the documentary that focused on identifying with the word lesbian versus queer. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the age difference with it. And for me, I'm old school lesbian. I use it is mm-hmm. our word. I use queer as in to identify the community who are not mm-hmm. straight. Right, right. End of story, which sure. I even thought about that today. I'm like, why do we use the word straight? Because straight almost feels like that's what's normal and everything else isn't like I'd, I'm, I'm hey, going in my book you're queer unless you come out to me as something else so there you go there you go there you go and so that's why like even on my I where I identify with my social media I put queer so folks know that I'm part of the community but when you ask me I identify as lesbian because that's our word what do you and, feel about like words like you know dyke or so 
it's well, that's interesting well, because well, I have been well, I've well, I've been well. called that in derogatory terms. I've been uh-huh. that's been shouted at. I am very fortunate that I've never been physically assaulted. My and and I have a martial arts background. So part of like the many things that I do is I teach self defense to women. Oh, and young good, women. Good you. um, awesome. I volunteer a lot of that. And, it, and I come from the basics. Like you don't have to be a martial artist to learn it. You just, I teach you how to be aware and that mm-hmm. every day your own body and, and just being, you, you can use in your defense. And in situations, like one thing I taught about is like if you're at home and, and, and whether it's um, your partner's brother who's a jerk, he happens to be over for dinner. And then when your partner's out of sight, he's trying to fill you up because it happens. Well, if you're chopping up squash and you haven't chopped it yet, you could use that to defend yourself and it's a piece of vegetable, but it's hard and it will hurt and it will send the message. It's just things like that. Yeah. And so I thought you meant the knife you were chopping. The squash no, with. no, because you don't okay. want to go to jail. Right. right. So I'm it's teaching enough. you there's subtle ways to let someone know it's not cool. I mean, and you have to know how to escalate and deescalate the force using right. knives. Absolutely. But, you know, and so I've had people call me that dyke, but in our circle, back in the you know the 90s and the early 2000s dyke was a, as a type so when we used it in our circle when it wasn't a derogatory term sure, you sure. know and then there's like you know there's the um they called back in our day stone butch mm-hmm. whereas you know what that meant and so there was just different and i tried to figure out what i fucking i gotta have one and i would try to figure it out and i'm like i'm a sporty lesbian because i grew up doing sports since i was like six and i've you know been on teams and done all you know all american this this and that so i thought well i'm a sporty lesbian but i kind of like and this is before i even like did the whole shave because i still like to wear makeup but i had really long hair for like the longest time and so then i was like i'm a sporty femme like all these titles you're just trying to figure out where you fit in right but today I don't even know what the younger folks, dyke isn't even a term used. I think that's our generation. Yeah. Right? And I think so. We're still kind of like feeling it all out. And interestingly enough, our son, who's now 19, when they were making the movie was, you know, like what, 15, 16, 17, you know, like 17, 18, however old he was. You know, he was a great resource that we could say, hey, you know, call up your friends, find out what terms they're using what terms they're comfortable with and he's like you know i know you say lesbian is a thing of the past but my friends totally use that you know and nice. they're like 16 years old so you know yeah that yeah. was a lovely surprise that's so good well my daughter she came out um age 14 as a sexual lesbian and so she uses the term lesbian and um ace i guess is the nickname i believe for that but um, and you know, it's like in my generation going to school, you never talked about that. I can't think of one moment at all through all of my grades up to graduating. Did anyone ever admit? Whereas even in the last maybe eight or more years, kids were being brave enough to come out yeah. in like middle school. Yeah. A lot. So we know the times are changing that at least representation is there, but, but the danger is still as relevant as ever. Rivka, do you ever ask your kids, like, what, oh, yeah. you know, tell All us what, yeah. they're younger? Yeah, well, so I have a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old, and, um, you know, one of them identifies as pan, the other identifies as straight, but they also, they have, you know, all kinds of friends, and they really, um, they really embrace so many different sexualities and genders and you know they flip um pronouns pretty easily there's always uh, they have friends who are 
shifting their pronouns. So yeah, it's really fluid. It's a fluidity, especially with gender. And, you know, because they're still in like elementary school and middle school, um, it's less uh, focused on sexuality right now with them. But yeah, it's, it's so fluid and they have no uh, reluctance or, or they, there's not a stigma attached to conversation, which I love. It's, I love that too. I that's think that's so also kudos to you. Well, yeah. they have a really open <laughs> kind of conversation. I have, I'm in a mar a 20 year marriage with a man I love so much and I have a girlfriend too. And that's oh. like a situation that they've been, they've known about for a couple of years now. And, and they're learning it in a very healthy, positive mm -hmm. um, manner yeah. as well. So that's, that's wonderful. I think um, a lot of what's different too, I've noticed, and this even happens with the BLM movement, with you know Asian hate, with um, homophobia, transphobia. Is that it's easier to put people on blast for it now? You know, the cell phone has been the greatest weapon towards outing folks that are being dangerous or violent mm -hmm. towards any community, and so you know they've got to think twice before their racism, their homophobia they decide to air it. They don't always think twice, but no. definitely more than 30, 20 years ago. So well, it's both ways, right? Because yeah. this is something um, that I think we talked about with Kim Katrin often in the film, uh, that visibility doesn't necessarily equal safety. So this we talk true. about increasing visibility and positive visibility, right? Like a fully dimensional characters but it also doesn't necessarily equate to safety, right? So, I mean, we see like black trans women being killed at unprecedented rates still, and trans visibility has escalated so much in the last 10 years, yeah. And to be honest, do we know that because how much of it was being reported 20 years ago? Right, right. true. Yeah. So that's where it's, you know, it's, um, we talked about that and I talked about, I should say we, I had a very old podcast and the conversation on police brutality came up because um, the movie straight out of Compton had just been released. I can watch that one over and over again. And, you know, someone brought up in the conversation about how, you know, in the, you know, in the fifties and the sixties, they always emulated that cops were your hero and they were getting cats out of trees and up. And I go, yeah, but was it really, or was that the image that they put forward because nobody called them on their shit? Mm -hmm. Or the people that are saying that are the people that were actually protected. Correct. Yeah. And that, you know? so even now is, as that's kind of the challenge we take and the, and the safety that we risk, you know, you know, being out, I'm very fortunate for me because not only do I work for the women's international music network, I work at Odyssey um, and I work at 98 rock here in Sacramento and both companies are very, very supportive of however you identify it, it we're very inclusive where i belong to the dei task force which is diversity inclusion and equity and i know i'm fortunate because there are still companies that don't celebrate For that sure. and For they sure. won't tell you but that's why they'll fire you or not hire you mm -hmm. i have platforms that i can be open and i know that i'm i'm being watched whether i'm told or not just like the three of you and what you do in your fields because they still risk being attacked being killed not being hired, being all the things. You're right. Absolutely. But it's got to start at home too. I mean, it does, are, you know, are your family, how are they? Are they supportive? Me? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, Mostly, like I was saying, you know, you yeah. and I, we have such the parallels, right? Because 
I came out after being married and having a kid. And so I lost more than half of my family who couldn't relate. We're very on the religious sector of, well, you can come over, but don't bring your girlfriend or didn't right. talk about it or ghosted. And some of my friends, but then what happens is, and that's such a transition because you're not the only one coming out. They have to as well. Sure. Right. Oh, my yes. mother, who I'm very close to, it hit her hard because she didn't see it coming. And we were so close. I think mm. she felt sort of um, an ego bruise and hurt as a mom that yeah, she didn't too. see it. And even recently she admitted to me maybe three years ago, she's like, I'm so sorry. I really, I really just can't accept that this about you. And she loves me. And I don't even take offense to it because she was raised in a time where that wasn't something that was normal or raised around. You know, she would say, you know, I had a daughter, but now I have a son because when I would cut my hair, because for her growing up, this isn't a girl. Uh -huh. And at least she was honest with me about it. And she doesn't shun me. We still talk on the phone a lot. She's, um, she's disabled and, and it's a whole different, I'm not even going to bring that into this conversation, but I, the one thing, if anyone watching, when they ask that question, you know, when you're first coming out, when you lose people, it, it's, um, I tell them it'll hurt, but you're shedding people who never supported you to begin with because they just liked you because you were like them. Uh, You're going to find point. your real family, however, whether that's blood or not, who see you for who you are inside because right. they're struggling. And that's and this is definitely it goes when when I have family members that have transitioned into from male, female to male, and then their siblings are having trouble with that because they were raised having a sister their whole life. Mm -hmm. And you see photos, you're, you're talking about it, right? Photos are on the wall. And it's like, yeah, that they're, they're transitioning too, but it's not your responsibility. If you're the one transitioning, they have to come around in their own time if they do or not. And so that's the, the, the biggest lesson I took from all of this when I lost the people that I did is that that's their struggle. That's not mine. And it doesn't hurt me less, but I now found people my community and folks that celebrate Your chosen that. family. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, and that was the same for you. You were so bold to show that in the documentary. Yeah. And you my, know about you know, my, my parents totally came around and my mom, I must say, she's now like my biggest cheerleader. That's so good. Because <laughs> man, when you talked about the phone call and you asked for money and she says, I can't help you. I was like, yeah. oh, knife to my heart. Yes. Like I have you, no more money for you. I'm like, that you chose to not give your daughter money over that she isn't robbing a bank she didn't kill people she's not i think what it was really <laughs> about now that look like i look back at it she just spent an incredible amount of her life savings on a wedding for me only a few years before gotcha gotcha and how could i have done that if i knew that i was gotcha. looking and lo and behold i had no idea no i didn't know neither did i looking back at my old photos like how did i not know <laughs> You did that too? Oh my gosh. Isn't it the like, oh, now that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Now every, that makes yeah, sense, totally. right? Oh, you, you do that 100%. for like two years straight. Yeah. I still do it. Jen went back through every photo I ever took and kept for the movie. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That had to have been fun watching all that come up because Jen, Rivka, you did such an amazing, I mean, give yourself the credit, Jen, because you are an absolutely fabulous storyteller. Even if I weren't queer and I'm watching this for the first time, it felt like that helps folks really understand. It's, it's, a, it's a piece in our history. It's a very important piece in our history. And you go from then to now, 
and you're showing the struggle, but you're showing it in a light where it isn't, um, it isn't depressing. It's more of this is just how it was and this is how we overcame it. And now here we are today. Right. You know, it's beautiful. They've One used that most- as a launch pad to create their own production company. So I'm I know. Make sure. <laughs> I love it. Jen, talk about talk that, please. About that and what projects you have in the in the works. Please talk. Absolutely. About that. Yeah. So we <laughs> we just loved the work. We loved work. We we worked together really really well, and we're very very aligned in our values uh, around. Um, telling stories that center strong queer women. There, there just aren't enough that are out there that are well told that are, you know, there's just that I have a huge hunger for it. Rick has a huge hunger and we know we're not the only ones. Um, so yeah, so we, we've been continuing to write and make films. We've got yes. a, a short documentary that we've just started submitting to festivals. That's about a um, butch presenting queer mom of a profoundly disabled seven-year-old boy and her path to understanding how to be his mom. And uh, I'm completely in love with it. It's called Holding Moses. And we've been writing. We have a short uh, fiction film that we're writing. We have a feature-length uh, romantic comedy that we're <laughs> swimming around in. And we wrote an episodic, a pilot for an episodic um, that's a fictionalized based on a fictionalized version of the early years of Deneuve magazine and the incredibly sexy golden time in San Francisco where these brash young women just wanted it into existence, worked their little butts off and had a lot of fabulous sex. And <laughs> I think that was like the first season of L Word back in 2004. It's all sex. Yeah. Yeah. Except- <laughs> San Francisco and not all skinny femmes. Yeah. And realistic. Everybody includes everybody. Yeah. And activism. Lots of activism. I must say the the L word generation Q is a lot better in the diversity range. I mean, I agree. I just binged, well, not binged, but I just finished season two and I was, I loved how they included the old school with the original actors and then brought in the newer characters and the diversity was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the daughter struggling with wanting to meet her dad and whatnot. Like that is real stuff. No spoilers. I haven't finished watching the season. Okay. Thanks. No spoilers. I usually don't, but I just meant like, you know, they touch on that, right? Yeah. 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 They, well, they, well, they just, you know, I just love that they brought it next, especially and anytime Alice or Shane or Bet would have their conversations that obviously reflected from before. I love because, you know, their first season was, or the first go around, I remember all of that. I have them on DVD. And so I love that they brought them back and kept them in the core. That was so fabulous. But yeah. you're going to go, they were actually the produce some of the producers, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. I think so. I think they yes. came back as like, you know, a, yeah. it was there. Yeah. I think it was Jennifer Beals who was like, let's bring the show back. But I, I don't know. Really sure. Yeah. And which, okay. So which episode are you on? I think I'm only up to like four. <laughs> so you're halfway there. Okay. We, you know, we, we, I took a break because like, um, on that Facebook page, I was telling you about the curve community. Somebody suggested some shows that I was like, Oh, I got to watch that. Oh, I got to watch that. What did it's you end almost, up watching? Um, I 
I'm watching um, uh, Sex Education, and I really liked that show. And I watched Vita, <laughs> and the sex in that, great. And uh, um, yeah, I haven't even. Um, you know what one I totally loved? What? Sex Life, because Sarah Shahi's in it, and she was oh, Carmen. Oh my God, she's so hot. That is my future oh. ex-wife, Handle. Yeah. So I love her and I watch <laughs> that. It's so good because it's, I, you just really get involved in the characters. It's number one, it's it's very diverse in its its representation with the characters, but they really do the meat and bones with her being a woman, a wife with her kids and she's a great mother, but she knows she's missing something. And mm. the back, like she, they, the writing and her portraying it, I was, and then the sex is good too. It's called Sex Life? It's called Sex Slash Life, I think. Okay. Just Google Sarah Shahi and sex yeah, and yeah, pop of up. Course. So good. She's been a cover girl a few times. Oh, yes, she has. Oh, I yes. love her so much. Oh, okay, we're getting off now. Now, okay, but as we close this out. <laughs> so as we close this out, you had talked also at, towards the end of it about do we stay a physical representation? Do we flip it over to just streaming? And you do have Curve Foundation, mm -hmm. um, but you're still circulating the physicals, yeah? No. So no, it is printing, done. We're okay. not printing magazines at this point. Okay. Not to say that will never happen again, but right now we're... Um, we're online and people can go to curvemag.com and check it out and look at the, you know, different lens we're took, taking on some of the stories from the old days of Curve and how they, you know, how we shine a light on what those are doing today. And then um, we've started a nonprofit called the Curve Foundation, um, which is to continue the original mission of Curve Magazine, highlighting our stories and giving back to the community. And we donated Curve Magazine to the foundation, so it's actually a nonprofit now. So if anybody wants to donate, it you know it, it it's tax, dedu tax deductible. Nice. And um, so uh, the Curve Foundation is the CurveFoundation.org. If anybody wants to check it out, and uh, we have our first year of Curve Ordies uh, that we've allotted a. Um, a financial award too. So we're giving money to um, LGBTQ women to write stories uh, that are emerging journalists. And then the other thing I think I mentioned before is that we're archiving the first 30 years of the iconic uh, Danube and Curve magazines. Yes. So we're trying to get all the copies. That's, you know. That's going to take some time. Yeah. But that's yeah. so essential. Like, yeah, I see you launching a like 30th or 35th anniversary like thick old book. Thick old yeah, book, like, right? the, like I have the original Pride from 98 oh, when Ellen first came out. Ellen, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that was when she came out on her show, remember? Yeah, I do. I'm gay. I was there, yep. I recorded that on, on VCR. But <laughs> your your book will be like probably this thick. Yeah. With all yours, and yes, and that will definitely be worth having. Yes, in fact, I'm trying to, I feel bad. I don't know if I've, subscribe so i will to the online yeah it's free so there's and, nothing um, to pay for so no absolutely it's love yeah. it even the archive will be completely free i think Aww. it's really important that women can search or anybody can search you know uh, the archives of denuve and curve and see where our community's gone over the last 30 years it's you know 
can't historical. believe it's been 30 years. That's like the nineties were 20 years ago. Like that just blows my mind. Like me being in high school is music that you hear. Nineties were 30 years ago, my friend. Yes. So sorry. That's what I meant. Like <laughs> mine, the eighties being nearly 40 years ago, it, you know, that's the music that's playing at the grocery store now. And you're yeah. just like, um, where's my commemorative stamp? Because I'm pretty sure I get that now. So any last word you'd like to share? before we close out this episode, this I wonderful I want to make sure that Rivka and Jen say how you can buy the DVD and how you can watch the movie if you don't have a DVD player. Sure. So, yeah, our socials are all at Curve Mag Movie. So you can check out uh, us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you go to our website, there's a whole link tree with several different ways oh, to connect to the I film. spelled that wrong. <laughs> oh, you did? Stars, yeah. Apple, on Amazon. There's so many ways to see this film. So check Perfect. It. Yes. Please, please. There it is. Please see this. It is so imperative that you see it. If you can own it, do so. If not, definitely see it. It's so worth it. It is so worth it. I'm probably going to watch it again. I'm home this weekend. We're, we're up here in Sacramento. We're supposedly getting a... Um, I bomb big, what do they call it? Yes. Yeah. Like power might go out. We've got the Iron Man going here, so they're gonna have to put weights and floaties to kind of get through it because we're supposedly getting a whole ton of rain tomorrow. Wow. So I'm probably just gonna have this on repeat because it's that awesome. The other thing I want to say is that it's so important, not just because you know independent film is hard to finance and keep making, but also if you support our film, it also sends a signal to Amazon, to Apple, to stars, that there's an audience desire for films about LGBTQ plus women. And that is huge because you look at their audience and they say like, hey, what does our audience want? And then they try to give them more. So actually buying our film helps bring more media, more film, more television about queer women to our televisions and our movie theaters. Yeah. Perfect. You're oh my God, 100%. 100%. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for joining me on this. I can't tell you how my life is just complete. You, I, I, I don't know how my, the rest of this year is going to get any better um, <laughs> for, for being on the show. And again, like she says, please purchase, download the movie. It's awesome. This is Mickey Angeline and reminding you, like I always end every show, every day that you wake up, you determine how your day will go. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you, ladies. Thanks. Thank you.